The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are absolutely in the right place. I always say it, and I always mean it, and you know it is true. Today's buzz, woo-woo. Or woo-hoo. Oh, let's, let's see what she's talking about. Companies like yours across all industry sectors are trying to deal with almost daily security threats to your networks and your devices. Come on, you know it's true. Maybe you haven't been hit yet, but it's not a question of if. It's a question of when will it happen. The bad guys and gals are out there trying to breach your security. You think you have safety? You think you have this big wall? You think you have all the cyber protection? I don't think so. So let's talk today about security incident and event monitoring analytics. That's a mouthful. It's S-I-E-M. These tools are out there to help you mine and analyze data to protect your vital data from what I'll call eagerly prying eyes. Yes, they want to know what you know so they can sell it or use it or attack it or embarrass the heck out of you. Ideally, These analytics will let you detect and prevent future attacks. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing if you could figure out what's coming and stop it before it happens? Uh Uh-huh. Second choice, recover quickly from breaches that are happening right now. Third choice, eh, learn from past vulnerabilities. What can I tell you? It's better to clean up the mess afterwards than not to do it at all. Are you ready for a reality check? We have three experts on the show today who are going to help us figure out if this is true, if this is voodoo, if it's real, and if so, what should you be doing about using these tools? First up, I'm very pleased to welcome Paul Alvarez, Senior Manager in the Fraud Investigation and Dispute Services Practice at EY Ernst & Young. Paul has sent me me a quote from Harry S. Truman, the 33rd president of the U.S., who lived from 1884 to 1972. He was an American politician of the Democratic Party. Wonder what he'd say today. Let's leave that one alone. Uh, he was president during the final months of World War II. He was the one who made the decision to drop the atomic bomb on Hiroshima, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. He was elected. Uh, actually, he was came to the presidency after the death of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and Truman was elected in his own right in 1948. And he was the one who helped the U.S. recover after the war. And then the tensions with the Soviet Union increased and the start of the Cold War. So Harry S. Truman certainly left his mark. Here is the quote Paul has selected. It is amazing what you can accomplish if you do not care who gets the credit. Paul Alvarez, welcome. How are you? Morning, Bonnie. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Thanks for joining us, and a shout-out to all of your colleagues at EY for arranging for you to be with us today, Paul. We appreciate it. So tell me, are you a follower of Harry S. Truman, and how did you pick this quote today? 
Well, um, I, picked, I picked a quote. It was something that I, that I read when I was in the, in the Air Force um, leadership training. And uh, it's, it's always a quote that stayed with me. Um, it's, it's, it is human nature. Um, people do a, you know, do a good job. They put in a good day's work. They, they want to get the credit. But I think it's important at the end of the day to remember that it's not just about you. It's about building a, a great team around you um, that can effectively do the job. Um, especially uh, in today's day and age, we're talking about cybersecurity. Uh, it's, it's, it's in the news all the time that there's a lack of talent out there, and we need to increase that talent to be able to respond to threats. And so I feel like this quote helps put that in perspective. If you enable folks to get a win, um, to, to, to have ownership over something and, and, and have success, um, it's going to really uh, motivate them. It's going to make them more passionate and it's going to enable you as a, as a leader to, to uh, develop a high-performing team. So it's something that I really try to uh, have in the back of my mind all the time uh, to you know, reach out to help folks succeed and, and really not worry so much about getting the credit. Uh, and I think it's going to be better for, for the team. And like I said, it's going to be better for our industry as a whole. Thank you, Paul. As you're speaking, and I'm rereading the quote, something uh, very strange is going on in the back of my mind. I'm thinking, can you imagine the fraud people, Paul, sitting in a little boiler room somewhere or sitting in a mansion somewhere, depending on how far along they are in their professional track? Excuse the expression. Uh, can you imagine the, the honcho saying, yeah, we're going to attack these five U.S. banks this week, and we don't care which one of you does it. It doesn't matter who gets the credit. We just want to make this breach. Can you imagine I'm sorry. Can you can you imagine them saying, "Go team! We don't care who does it, Bob or Paul or Mary or Sandy or Bill or Sue. We just want to make this breach happen." Think think about that. Is that a possibility that they love this quote too? Yeah, I mean, actually, I would say that 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 you know, I don't know if they follow uh, Harry S. Truman, but I do believe that they don't care about who gets the credit. At the end of the day, they uh, depending on their motivation. Um, so to, to your point, if they're doing it for fraud, if they're trying to make money, that's what they're interested in. They don't care about making a name for themselves. They just care about, um, you know, getting into a system, exploiting a vulnerability, uh, and then, you know, stealing information that they can monetize. So it's, it's working for them. Um, you know, hopefully we can make it work for us. I'm, I'm sorry. You have to forgive me for that. I was just thinking that this is such a great mantra that anybody can use it. It works for anybody. Thank you, Paul. Pleasure to speak with you, and thanks for the great quote. And now let's move on to our second panelist. He is Richard McCammon, the CEO at Delego Software, D-E-L-E-G-O. Go look them up. And Richard is back. He's been joining us for this security breach topic frequently. This is uh, number six, actually, and we'll call this a micro mini-series because the topic is always timely and always important. And Richard has sent me a quote from somebody named Tahar ben Loon, brand new to me, and here's who this source is. He was born in French Morocco in 1944, Tahar Ben He's a Moroccan writer. The entirety of his work is written in French, although his native language, his first language, was Arabic. He became known for his 1985 novel, L'Enfant de Sable, which is The Sand Child. He lives in Paris and continues to write, and he's a contender for the Nobel Prize in Literature. Go look him up, everyone. Very, very interesting guy. He was uh, awarded a special prize for peace and friendship between people at the Lazio between Europe and the medieval Mediterranean Festival. I'm garbling here. And on February 1st, 2008, Nicolas Sarkozy awarded him the Cross of Grand Officer of the Légion d'Honneur. So he's quite a guy. And the, the spelling of this source is Tahar, T-A-H-A-R, Ben, B-E-N, Jaloun, J-E-L-L-O-U-N. And here is the quote. 
Be vigilant, for nothing one achieves lasts forever. Richard McCammon, profound. How are you today? Doing well. Doing well. So Thanks for joining us. Tour, so it's, it's nice to be back. Where have your travels taken you before you talk about the quote? Where have you been? Oh, U.S. U.S. and Europe primarily. So nice. Important. Business, pleasure, a little bit uh, of everything. Business. Don't Busy get my, guy. Don't get my vacation time until this summer. Then we're going uh, back to Finland for some hiking. Very nice. So talk to me. Are you a big follower of this Mr. Jaloon, Tahar Ben Jaloon? And how did you find this quote and how does it apply to our topic, Richard? Sadly, no, I'm not a uh, follower of Mr. Jaloon's because, uh, as, as you mentioned, he writes primarily in French, and my French is, is literally high school French, and that's way too long ago for me to actually remember much of it. Fair enough. So, um, yeah, I haven't, I haven't read any of his books, but I, did, I, I, I was doing some uh, research on the Internet, just trying to look up uh, quotations that would be more or less ap- applicable to... Uh, what we were talking today, and I came across this one, and it really struck a chord with me because, I mean, based on all of the things we talked about in the in the previous five episodes, and and this one particularly, it really resonates because of the the vigilant aspect to it. Because we have to recognize that every day the the dynamics in the in the security world are changing. Um, so nothing's what we've nothing we've accomplished before is really going to protect us in the future. It, it may protect us for a little while, but it, it's going to change, and the, the vectors are going to change. The, the criminals are going to think of new ways of getting the information. All of that's going to be dynamic, and so our thrust has to be also dynamic. And, and so we have to be vigilant in order to, to really try to even attempt to, to prevent any of the hacks that are going to come through. Hmm. Appreciate that very much. This is true. And do you think vigilance alone is going to do it, Richard? Everybody knows this is happening. They know the perpetrators are out there designing new ways to get around whatever security is in place or that's going up 10 minutes from now. Do you think vigilance alone is enough? And does this require what we might call a super data scientist to be able to be ahead of that curve of the next breach coming? What do you think? We'll never be ahead of the curve, and you're quite right. Mm-hmm. Vigilance is not going to be sufficient. I mean, we have to we have to second guess what people are trying to do, and so it's a combination of of many factors that's going to keep us ahead of the game. Vigilance being one of them. You're right. Uh, we have to we have to think differently. We have to apply different tools. We have to even apply some of the simpler tools that we've got. I think one of the big threats that I see out there is is quite simply. The fact that we, we, let our, we let our guard down too often, and the simplest things are the ones we tend to ignore, and we, we'll get more into that as we go through today's show. Thank you very much. Yes, we'll talk about the simpler tools and the complex ones and the people who should be doing this job. I think that's going to be an important part of our our talk today. Thank you, Richard, so much. Pleasure to speak with you again. And rounding out our panel is Gerlinda Zabulski from SAP. She leads security product management since 2009. And Gerlinda has selected a wonderful quote from Stephen Hawking. He has so many letters after his last name, I can't keep up with them. But basically, he was born in 1942, and Hawking is an English theoretical 
theoretical physicist, a cosmologist, an author, and director of research at the Center for Theoretical Cosmology within the University of Cambridge. He's also an honorary fellow of the Royal Society of Arts and a lifetime member of the Pontifical Academy of Sciences, and on and on. He also received the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the highest civilian award in the U.S. What's most important about uh, Hawking, if you don't know the name, is his book, A Brief History of Time, appeared on the British Sunday Times bestseller list for 237 weeks. And what's less important, and I say that advisedly, is that he has a rare early onset, slow progressing form of amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, ALS. And he is paralyzed for decades and he communicates through a single cheek muscle in his face, a single cheek muscle attached to a speak speech-generating device. He's a brilliant man, and he's still out there making his impact on society and civilization. Here's the quote Gerlinda selected. It's, the greatest enemy of knowledge is not ignorance. It is the illusion of knowledge. Gerlinda, welcome back. How have you been? Oh, very well. I'm right now traveling. Uh, I'm in Munich attending, um, actually, a security conference by an industry analyst, Kupinga, which is very interesting. How appropriate that you're on the show talking about this, and you've been with us since part one of the security breach topic, so I'm very happy. You think we have uh, think we have part seven in our future here, Gerlinda, or should we let it go for a while? What do you think? Are the bad guys and gals out there, and we need to keep talking about it? You'll tell me after the show, okay? There are interesting topics that, uh, that we can deal with. I got, had quite a lot of eye-openers here. Tell me. And talk about the quote, the greatest enemy of knowledge is not ignorance, it's the illusion of knowledge. Very wise words. How does that apply to our topic of handling and dealing with and preventing and, and undoing the damage done by security breaches? Yeah, so, of course, Stephen Hawking brought up this, uh, this quote for his academic um, background. And he, him being a cosmologist, um, by trade, he probably has to deal with a lot of big data, but the whole, the, the whole topic of security analytics and big data has to deal with the fact that you have to you know, mine big data and, and, and look through big data of threats uh, and attacks and really find the real, the, the needle in the haystack, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the tools that are out there, they come with nice dashboards and <laughs> they show these graphics, of course, to, to the decision makers. Um, and sometimes one of them I really like and dislike at the same time is, is a graphic where um, they have little round circles that um, combine different types of threats. And it's in the tens of thousands, and you see a slide that shows all these little dots with numbers. And I, I can only ask, well, where is the problem here? <laughs> if somebody mm-hmm. could tell me where the problem is, I, I'd be happier. Uh, you, you get a lot of results, but where really is uh, the needle in the haystack? Where is the attack? That's um, that's where where things uh, start to get problematic, and that's why I um, why I, I took this quote yeah, because you can you can really be um, fooled by um, by reports and fooled by analytics and and not mm-hmm. see where the real problem is. And very important to see the real problem, and it is not going away. Do you agree with that, Gerlinda? The security breaches are just going to get more and more sophisticated and persistent and prevalent and annoying and damaging? Are we on, a, on, on board mm. with that? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you see the the different types of attacks, so we had worms and viruses that were mainly email uh, related. Uh, now we have phishing attacks. Actually, in the last month, I got three phishing emails that made it through SAP spam filter. We have a spam filter, but yes. these three made it directly to my inbox, and they got really sophisticated. Now they really know my name, dear Galinda Zabolski. And they know apparently they have the, the guys that do this have background knowledge, context knowledge. Um, they approach me, and I'm supposed to pay uh, something for SAP Americas, um, a um, a bill. And uh, you know, I mean, I, I still I can realize I can identify this as a phishing email, but um, maybe because I'm in, in security and I'm because I'm more aware than others. But these these things become more and more sophisticated and. Um, on a regular basis, I get about oh, 600 to 1,000 emails per uh, phishing e- or emails that are either phishing emails or some kind of spam into my spam filter. So that's quite a lot. Wow. Uh, but last month, three, three got through into my e- inbox, which was kind of very uh, astonishing to me. I think it's astonishing to everybody. Let me go around the table. Paul, do you get any any spam or phishing expeditions coming through in yours? Not asking about your company's filter specifically, but do you get these directly sometimes? Uh, yes. Uh, in fact, it's it's funny you should ask. I was just uh, talking with my wife yesterday, and she got one that slipped through the cracks, and uh, mm-hmm. it was addressed to her. She thought, and it was using a name of someone that she knew, um, mm-hmm. but the but the the address was spoofed. Um, fortunately. The link was already dead, um, but you know these. You know it's 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 inevitable that these things are going to happen, and so you know it's a, it's incumbent on us as as users. We have to make sure we know what we're doing and you know what we should be clicking and not clicking on, um, because the reality is that you know these systems are not always going to catch everything. But pe- most people who get email today are not sophisticated. They don't know phishing from real. They don't know links from spoofs. They don't know. And that's that's the problem. I'm talking about a consumer everyday person, day-to-day, and, and the senior scams, the grandparent scams that mostly come through email, many of them from phone, but email. Richard McCammon, are you getting uh, phishing expeditions on your email at work or at home? Oh, of course. And uh, but the the one that I, you just touched on it a moment ago is is telephone calls as well. We had yeah. one up here in in Canada that's been really, uh, in in a sense, virulent because callers are now representing themselves as the Canadian Revenue Agency, which is our tax federal yes. tax authority yep. here. Yep. And those calls have been coming in, and they're extremely threatening as yep. to you know you. You owe taxes to uh, CRA. We're going to come and arrest you if you don't pay the bill, and all the rest of it. And, and actually, I've I've chatted with people who have fallen victim to uh, to these. Um, you know, it, it 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 can be quite interesting. The, the, actually, the only reason that I I guessed it was uh, fake in the very beginning is is our government doesn't work until eleven o'clock at night, which is the times I said that they were available to take the call. And uh, that was the one thing that twigged me onto it. But otherwise, they're, they're extremely sophisticated and, and very belligerent. And that's what's really getting people scared and to the point where they'll send money off uh, by, oh, yes. by wire into the states yep. of all places. 
Yep. And what's interesting, Richard, you just hit a nerve or a, a bell went off with me. We call those the prevalence of IRS scams around tax time here in the U.S. So we just had our tax day April 15th, about four or three, four weeks ago. And that's when these, I'll just call them creeps, come out of the woodwork and they start calling and saying, this is the IRS, you owe us back taxes of X, Y, Z. And we're going to take away your home. We're going to take away your driver's license. And we're going to send a police officer to arrest you if you you don't send the money in the next 24 hours. This is not uncommon here. I'm sad to see, to hear, Richard, that it's crossed the border into Canada. I'm, I'm very sad to see that it's so global. And that's the frightening part to me is that this, the scam that I thought was only U.S. is in other countries. Gerlinda, are you surprised by this? No, I've heard this before. Um, we mm-hmm. don't particularly have uh, tax authorities. Anybody call under the pretense to be the German tax authority. Uh, but what a colleague told me lately was that he got a phone call and somebody posed as um, somebody from IT and something wasn't working was asking for the credentials. Yep. It goes on and on and on. The grandparent scam is an interesting one. I don't know if the three of you have heard of it, but they put somebody on the phone. They say, we have your, uh, let's say, Richard, we have your granddaughter, Mary. They know her name. They have an idea what she sounds like. Mary is in a Spanish prison. She has been arrested. We need urgently $1,000. You go to your federal, whatever, whatever your credit union, or you go to your uh, Western Union, and you have to wire the money in 24 hours. She needs legal support. And don't call the police. Don't call the other relatives. This is urgent, and you become so frightened by the knowledge, that supposed knowledge, that your granddaughter is in trouble halfway around the world, or the other side of the world, that you do it. And then by the time you connect with whoever is is the the granddaughter's parent or significant other, and they say, nah, she's here in Brooklyn. She's having lunch with me. We're sitting sitting at Bob's Diner. And you say, oh, gee, what did I do? So, yeah, that's another very popular one. That's usually done by phone. And, um, yeah, we have whole lists here in the States of the top ten grandparent scams. They're insidious. They're ugly. They're scary. They're ridiculously successful. I think that's the problem. So I think we all need a break from this serious talk. So I'm going to go back to Mr. Paul Alvarez at EY and say, Paul, you know what's coming. I have a personal question. Not how often have you been spoofed or fished or scammed or spammed, but what's in your cup today? Where are you calling from and what are you drinking or what would you rather be drinking later today? Paul? I'm calling uh, from Virginia today. And uh, I normally start my day every morning with a cup of espresso. Um, however, uh, if I had my way, I would pre- much prefer to have a, a cup of Colombian coffee. Um, my parents are Colombian. Co- coffee is very important to us. It's a, it's a big part of our culture. And, uh, you know, occasionally I will get some, some fresh grounds from Colombia and just so much better. But, yeah, normally I'm drinking espresso uh, to start the day off. I, I can't operate without it. <laughs> I'm I'm very glad to hear you know what it takes to turn that engine on. Thank you, Paul, very much. And let's hear from Richard McCam. And where are you calling from? And what's in your cup today, Richard? I'm literally at home. I, so I'm I'm on the, our small farm here in uh, southwestern Ontario, just outside uh, outside London. And uh, I think I'm going to change tax today. I'm going to uh, have a chocolate milk after the show. Ooh, what's your recipe? Oh, no, it, it's nothing as, as, this isn't a hot chocolate or anything like this. It's just pure, go to the store, pick up the carton, uh, the hot cho- or the, uh, the chocolate milk directly from the store. I mean, I've got a couple of favorite brands, but uh, 
Yeah, just nice, cold chocolate cold. milk. Cold chocolate milk. I have my own homemade recipe for chocolate milk, believe it or not. A little bit of unsweetened cocoa powder, either Nestle's or Hershey's, and a little bit of sugar. I know, not supposed to, but hey, you just have to have it once in a while. Not quite equal amounts, a little more cocoa than sugar, and put a little bit of hot water, Richard, and blend it so it makes a syrup, and you can make it as dark or sweet as you wish, and then add ice-cold 1% milk and stir it up, and it is... We'll have to give that a try. Give that a try. That's custom-made chocolate milk. You don't have to go to the cart and to the store. Just get a little container of the unsweetened cocoa and make it yourself. It's just so much fun. You put a little bit of ice cream in it if you really feel wicked and mush it up into the milk. Oh, my goodness. Be still, my heart. Gerlinda, rescue me here from these these dreams of chocolate milk Richard started. Gerlinda, you're in Germany. What time of day is it? Where are you calling from? And what's in your cup today? So um, it's 25 minutes past five. I'm in a hotel in Munich attending the, um, the Kupinger Conference. Kupinger is an industry analyst. Um, they focus on identity, but they expand their topic areas for security now and look into cloud security and also blockchain is a big, big topic here. Um, I don't have a cup. <laughs> I have a glass. And okay. I'm drinking plain old Coca-Cola, but the real thing, so with sugar. <laughs> but but I have to say, I only... They, you remember these teeny tiny Coca-Cola bottles that they had in the 50s and 60s? Uh-huh. I had them here in the fridge, and I, oh, I picked, one up, up one of, uh, picked one up of those, and I only have a, have a very small 0.2 liters. Nobody knows in the U.S. what that is. Uh, no, we don't. Coca-Cola <laughs> with, with sugar. <laughs> but it's a, it's a small amount. Just a glass. Well, you, you can have the whole thing as far as I'm concerned. I grew up with Coca-Cola in the late 50s, and I know exactly. And I have a souvenir six-pack, a red pl- cardboard pack from somebody who was on this radio show from Coca-Cola about a year ago, and she sent me a six-pack of the bottles, the old-fashioned green-tinted bottles. Is that the color of the bottle you have, Gerlinda? Nah, it's uh, it's a modern, it's the modern design. It's oh, red, my goodness. Red oh, you with ha- the white, white writing have, on it. You have shamed me. Okay, I just feel so much older now. What can I tell you? Yeah, the old <laughs> bottles were tinted green, and they were wonderful, probably to keep the light out. I don't know what that was going to do to the syrup and all that, but what an interesting round of what's in your cup today. We're going to take a break, the pause that refreshes. We're speaking today with Paul Alvarez at EY, Richard McCammon at DeLego Software, D-E-L-E-G-O, and Gerlinda Zabolski at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, drinking a cup of cool, clear, filtered Brita water in a cool, clear mug with a pink straw because today my wishful thinking has paid off. It's sunny in New York. That's all I have to say. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Our topic is important to you wherever you are in the world, whatever your company does or whatever your future company is going to do. We're talking security, breach, threat analysis, and intelligence. And I'm not sure if that's an oxymoron. Just voodoo or real help? We're going to get down to meat and bones here when we come back. So, Justin, out. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network 
The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Indeed, here we are. We're having a very serious conversation, but we're having a little fun, too, and that's allowed on Coffee Break with Game Changers. By the way, for keeping track, this is episode number 230. This series started on October 5th, 2011, and we're still going strong. Special guests today are Paul Alvarez at EY, Richard McCammon at DeLego Software, and Gerlinda Zabolski at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and let's get started on our roundtable. Paul Alvarez has graciously agreed to kick off this part of the show. I'm going to read a little bit from Paul's notes, and then he will take the deep dive. So Paul says... Cyber attacks occurring across the U.S., and I'm going to ask Paul to broaden that and see if it's, if it's equally around the world, are getting more attention in the media. It's very difficult for a company to ignore the threats and the impact to their fiscal well-being. That's why we need threat intelligence to cut through the noise. Paul, why don't you expand this for us, please? Sure. Thank you, Bonnie. Um, as, as you mentioned, um, you're seeing in the media more every day about cyber attacks against corporations uh, in the U.S. and across the world, as you mentioned. It's not just a U.S. thing. It's a, it's a global issue. And um, what you see is you, these attacks are perpetrated by a variety of different actors and for a variety of different reasons. Sometimes they're doing it to steal information, to sell, to monetize, to make money for criminal purposes. Sometimes you see it uh, by state-sponsored actors who are doing it to steal information to support a, a foreign government. Um, Sometimes you see uh, activists to support a cause uh, to, to, for political reasons. Um, the, the point is, is that this is not slowing down. This is only going to keep increasing over time. And that's why it's really important to have not only a robust uh, security uh, apparatus in place to defend yourself, but also having a context, having an understanding of what might be targeting you as a company, what kind of threats would be more prevalent for your company versus other companies, and then that context uh, will inform you and then help you um, dis- decide how you want to defend yourself. Maybe you need to buy some specialized tools. Uh, maybe you need to make some adjustments in your infrastructure. Maybe you need to have a specific uh, skill set or training to be able to handle those things. But it is, it, I do believe it's important to have uh, threat intelligence as part of your security infrastructure uh, for those reasons because, again, the threat is, is so widespread and it's coming at you hard and fast, and so having in that context becomes very important. Thank you for setting the stage. Richard McCammon, thoughts on what Paul just shared, please. 
Yeah, well, I, th- I think it's important that we try to understand that uh, threat intelligence is going to be based on a number of different things, but at, at, truly at its heart is going to be the, the concepts of, of big data because what we're really talking about in, in threat te- intelligence is the analysis of data in order to be able to uh, prevent some of these attacks at the best or uh, remediate the ones that are currently going on or, or as was mentioned in the beginning, finally looking back and, and trying to mm-hmm. look at history in order to, to try and create algorithms for the future. But everything is going to be based on the, the concepts of big data in this, in this threat intelligence matrix. And without the big data, then it becomes very difficult to, to do those analyses. So at the very heart of all of this is going to be the concept of big data. Thank you. We're going to talk more about that when we get to your part of the roundtable. Gerlinda, thoughts on media attention on the need for threat analysis, threat intelligence? Is it real or voodoo? Gerlinda, talk to me about what we've been discussing. Yes, so I, I think the, uh, the the sheer amount of threats and, and uh, that the media reports about it, that's real. That's not voodoo. Um, it's becoming more, more and more prominent also because there are... Um, white hackers out there, security researchers that are the good guys that, that um, help software vendors and help customers get uh, more secure systems by, by hacking their systems and reporting the security vulnerabilities to the vendor and then waiting for a fix before they can uh, talk about it. Um, so the, the issue is real. That's not voodoo. Um, but I don't uh, and that's why I, I brought up this topic. I'm not quite sure whether um, we have the, the tools, whether we have the algorithms to deal with it, um, because that's what a customer actually told me. Um, real-time security intelligence, intelligence uh, um, security analytics, that's voodoo. It brings up too many false positives, mm-hmm. um, and then I have to... Uh, to uh, go through the smoke and clouds here and analyze uh, too many results that show up as alerts that aren't actually any alerts. Um, mm-hmm. And so that, w- that was what got me thinking. I really, I was also under the Im- impression and under, under the, uh, the, the thought that, yeah, we need this, but do we really? This customer got me thinking. Okay, well, it's always good when you get thinking, Gerlinda. That's when you bring us good topics, so we appreciate it. You just keep thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Alvarez, do you want to talk a little more about this topic before I pick something from Richard's notes? Sure, sure. Um, I really like uh, Gerlinda's comment, um, you know, her, 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 her uh, epiphany that she had when she was talking to a customer about the, the difficulty with, with leveraging threat intelligence and, and false positives. And, and I think the, the, the point I would like to make uh, from her epiphany is that threat intelligence isn't easy. I mean, security, cybersecurity as a whole is not easy, and threat intelligence definitely is not easy. Um, it takes time to get it right. It takes time to refine it. And, and what I'll say is that it's not as simple as uh, buying a feed or, or, or incorporating an open source intelligence feed into your system and then expect it to automatically uh, produce accurate results. It's something that has to be refined over time. And, and what I also will say is that it's not something that I expect anyway for it to be automated and just um, you know, running in a corner on its own. It's something that has to be done in tandem with, a, with an analyst, uh, a human being who's going to be reviewing the results and then drawing context from it and then applying that to what they're seeing on the screen. 
And so, um, again, I, I thought it was a great point that Glenda made. Um, it's, it's, it's important to understand that it's not easy, but, but I do think it's doable uh, with, with the right uh, approach. Thank you very much. Appreciate that, Paul. And Richard McCammon, I'm looking at something here, a very profound statement in your notes. And I'm going to read this and ask you to expand it. You say, real-time analysis of big data in the prevention of fraud will always be too slow for the speed of business. Our world is all about instant communication and gratification. And you talk about the crackberry mentality in which everyone needs an answer now. Talk to me, Richard. Is this a comment on the effectiveness of threat intelligence software, on the huge velocity and volume of big data, on the status of these tools we have? Talk to me. Well, I think I think this follows up on the threads that uh, both Paul and Gerlinda were introducing because you know, we can we can do all the analysis. Um, I think a lot of the algorithms that we're talking about are already there. Um, there is a refinement that, that Paul mentioned that is going to continually be done. And it's not a, again, it's not a single event that has to happen. It's a continuous analysis and a continuous refinement that's going to happen in the, in the, in the threat matrix and the threat intelligence side of it. My concern, though, is that, uh, and this builds on what Gerlinda was saying with her customer, is that by the time you've, you've crunched all the numbers, the, the, the threat's already gone. It's been, it's gone, it's, it's done its, its job, and, and now you've uh, lost whatever data that you were looking for. So um, the, the data are getting bigger. The, the data sets are getting bigger. Uh, the computers are certainly getting faster. And you know, with a lot of the database technology we've got, particularly some of the, uh, the in-memory technologies that are there, we're getting faster at, at developing the algorithms, but we're also getting faster at analyzing the data. But I still say that that's not going to be fast enough for what we need to do in business. Um, I use the example in the notes that I provided you where way mm-hmm. back when, I certainly remember it, standing in a machine waiting a minute, minute and a half for the old buzz click were and, and, uh, of modems to, to actually make the connection to authorize my credit card. And at mm-hmm. that time, I was willing to wait for a minute, minute and a half because that was, that was great technology. It was doing amazing things. But today, if it takes anything longer than three to five seconds, in fact, some of the benchmarks that were being provided by our customers are sub one second for the uh, for an authorization attempt. If we start adding seconds, uh, not just a few, but maybe tens and fifteen minutes or fifteen seconds, on top of what we're already doing just to get the authorization, in order to do the the fraud analysis, it's just not going to work. And as Gerlinda said, the customer sets just are not going to accept that. As a result, we're not going to use it. We may have all the best tools in the world, but if we can't make them usable at the speed of business that we want to go, they're not going to be used. Thank you, Richard. Gerlinda, I'd love to get your POV on this, and I'm going to do a reference to a TV show in a minute when we're done and ask a question to the panel about who is really going to solve these problems. But Gerlinda, talk to me about uh, what Richard just introduced, please. Yeah, that uh, the fact that uh, uh, some of the... Uh, that Nobody really uses real-time analytics. Um, I, I was amazed. Um, there was a just uh, in this conference here. There was a, a talk, a session by somebody from a research team, a research group called Bark, that had done a survey with 300 participants on big data security, and less than 20% of the companies had implemented that. And I thought, oops, that's kind of mm. uh, that. I mean, Im- immediately it it. it 
um, undermined or it, it, uh, it strengthens the point by Richard. Um, the, uh, the problem is that, as Richard said, real-time analytics, <laughs> one of my, my own product managers from my team once said, that's real-time threat intelligence is propaganda. Real-time is ah. propaganda. You always have had this uh, incident, and I was always going to sink under the, the table there, okay, you can't really say this in front of our customer, but okay, it's honest. So there is always a time delay, and um, even if it's micro or milliseconds, it's after the fact. Um, now, there is this big debate about um, artificial intelligence really kicking off now and machine learning. But all the machine learning that I see right now is also negative, so meaning that tools have to have, you have to have been hacked. Some incidents have to have happened before the tool then finally figures out, ah, okay, so that's the pattern. So that's what's uh, making this happen. So I will add this to the list of alerts. And I think what, I don't know how, if this is possible at all. I don't know if anybody in academia or in companies looks into this, but positive machine learning, kind of like, uh, looking ahead, what would be a potential uh, vector to attack here? That's, I think, what's needed, and that's what would make tools more acceptable to customers. Mm, very profound. Thank you, Paul Alvarez. Circling around to you, thoughts? We've got some interesting concepts here. Agree, disagree? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I, I do like um, the comments that Richard and Greenland have made, uh, and I recognize that you know real-time detection is difficult. Um, the, the company or the system may not have enough, enough information to detect something until it's too late. But let me try to approach this from the other perspective. Um, you know, Mandiant um, slash FireEye puts out a report, an annual basis that talks about trends that they've identified through the investigations of intrusions that they, can, that they investigate. And the number of days that a company was breached before they discovered it Either they discovered it themselves or someone notified them. Um, so, again, the time from, the breach, from when it occurred to the time it was detected was 146 days. Now, oh. keep it, oh, keep wait, wait, wait. Hold, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's do the math. 146 days? How many months yes. is that? That's yeah, how that's many a, months? That's, that's a long time. <laughs> Thank you. I, 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 I'm sorry to interrupt you. I mean, it's almost half a year. Wow, yeah. we we, we so, had to say that to to drive that point. Now, go ahead, Paul. Sorry to interrupt, but that no, just no, no, had it's to be... okay because because that is wow. that's a good point. This is not just like a week or something like that. It's a long time. Yeah. Now, now keep in mind, uh, I don't want to be doom and gloom. That number has been dropping. the The first time they reported it, I believe it was over four hundred days. So, so the number is you know people are getting better at detecting attacks and and responding. But the fact remains that um, one hundred forty six days is still a long time, and even though. The real-time detection may not be where we want it, and, and it, may not, it may require a breeze to occur. I would still think I would want to know it um, sooner than 146 days. So, so I just want to keep, you know, put that uh, out there to kind of pr- provide some context um, to what we're talking about. Uh, if we can use and leverage analytics to lower that number down, uh, and more importantly, get it to the point where we're not relying on someone like, uh, you know, law enforcement uh, or, or a public website like Krebs notifying you that someone stole your credit cards, if you can find it yourself, that's a much desirable position to be in, in my opinion. Mm, agree. Richard, you started this. You want to wrap this up on uh, comments from your co-panelists, please? 
Well, I'm, I'm astonished by that, uh, that number 146, just as you guys were. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I have to wonder, what do we do uh, on day 147? Um, because, as they say, they, the horse has left the barn, and all we can do is close the door. I mean, I'm not sure mm-hmm. that all of the analytics, even if we got it down to 30 or 31 days, whether it's really going to make any, any difference in what we're able to do. Sure, we can, as I say, close the door and, and prevent it from happening again. But again, the, the crooks have moved on. They, they've, they've gone on and they've, they're looking for the next uh, vector, the next attack. And so I, I wonder, even, even at that, if, we, if we've got it down to 140 days or even moved it down to 30 days, whether it's really going to have any meaning to what we're uh, what we're able to do. Mm-hmm. There's the problem. There, I there's the rub. Let me toss something into the mix here to my esteemed panelists. I was just thinking of uh, there was a movie. It was a TV series, I think, to catch a thief. And I just found out there was a reality show on American TV from 2005 to 2007. Seems like ancient history, but really not that long ago. Called "It Takes a Thief." Reality TV show that originally aired on the Discovery Channel. It starred two former thieves who used their unique expertise to teach people in an unusual way how to protect their property. They staged a full-fledged burglary as their victims watched on closed-circuit TV, either live during the break-in in Season 1 or in real time with pre-recorded playback in Season 2. So my question for the panel, Gerlin, I'm still going to get to some of your notes in a minute here, but question for the panel is, who should be the one? First of all, money talks. Second of all, everybody knows the good guys and bad guys are out there, and it may be a matter of honor or pride or reputation among thieves. Uh, and money talks. Who's paying for the best security breaks? Who? Where are the dens of iniquity, if you will, where people are creating these these phishing scams, these security breaches? Who is spending 24 hours a day under that old green light in that back room coming up with the next expedition that's going to breach the network and devices at a major company anywhere in the world? And should we be looking at hiring them away from their managers, owners, sponsors, whatever you want to call it, to come and design the security intelligence, the threat intelligence. Gerlinda, I'll pose this to you, so that we can get ahead of the game. So in other words, they can design what the next game's going to be because they know that's what their friends are doing and ask them to abandon the honor among thieves. Gerlinda, is that the way to get around this? Um, I mean, companies are doing that right now in software vendors. We work with security researchers, a.k.a. hackers, white mm-hmm. hackers to hack our systems to find security um, to security threats. Our customers also work with um, managed services companies in the area of threat intelligence and analytics, people who have a lot of knowledge about this and who usually come from intelligence organizations in their respective countries. I mean, that's happening right now. On the other hand, um, there <laughs> there are... Um, a lot of uh, uh, people that that you can't hire that have a lot of knowledge for various reasons that are unwilling to to um, yeah help with their services. So um, if you find white hackers, if you find security researchers, always a good idea to have them look at your systems. Okay, good point there. Thank you. I'm going to circle back to Paul. You agree or disagree with that? What's what's your intel on that, Paul Alvarez? Well, I, I will say that that um, it might be difficult, depending on the company that you work for or work with, to to hire someone that has a a criminal record. But I will say though that you know 
you know, a good threat intelligence unit, even though they don't have a criminal or a hacker in their midst, can still examine what the attackers do and learn from it, right? And so it goes beyond just developing a signature for a certain tool or having an IP address. It's having the, the full scope of methodologies that the attackers applied um, so that you can learn from it. And uh, also, um, you don't have to have a criminal working for you to be able to red team your network. So this is just as good as having an attacker going against, uh, going against your, your security systems, you know, hiring or developing a, a good red team to actually hack you and see how successful or unsuccessful they are and then learn from that to find what your gaps are. Um, so that's an effective way of doing it in a real-world scenario. Uh, and, then, and then, again, like I said, applying those, those lessons learned and, and, um, uh, and doing it on a regular basis. It's not something that you should be mm-hmm. doing every couple of years uh, you know, as, as often as possible to be able to uh, really test your, your infrastructure and, and see how you respond to those kinds of attacks. Clearly. Thank you. Good advice. Richard McCammon, join us. What do you think? Well, the one that worries me are the, uh, the state-sponsored ones that uh, Paul brought up earlier as well. Mm-hmm. Is that the, uh, the state-sponsored attacks seem to be becoming more and more prevalent. And the problem with those is that they have uh, a wealth of resources in, in their toolkit. And it's, not just, it's just not the money to, to actually fund this research and the attacks themselves. But we've seen that even friendlies, allies, are, are attacking um, their own allies. So it's, it's, they're coming in through vectors where it's supposed to be a trusted network and, and still being able to take advantage of it. So the, the threats are everywhere, and, and I think that the difficulty is going to become is, is at what level do you actually uh, get suspicious about other people, and uh, your allies included. Thank you very much, and guess what? We're almost at the time of the show where we need to go to our crystal ball predictions, but something very important here in Gerlinda's notes that I don't want to leave behind. Gerlinda, you say, should we forget about it altogether? And you go back to your quote from your customer, thread intelligence and analytics are just voodoo, but... A point here I'm not sure you mentioned yet, Gerlinda, please indulge me and, and go through it. You say, instead, we should focus on honeypots, trying to mislead attackers to the wrong targets, thus catching them. And let me just give a definition I found. A honeypot is a computer system set up as a decoy to lure cyber attackers and to detect, deflect, or study their attempts to gain unauthorized access to your information systems. Gerlinda, what a thought. Are companies doing this now? How, how does this work? So I don't know so much if companies are doing it. Some, especially in regulated industries or in the defense industry, will definitely do it. Um, the customer that, that brought up this suggestion basically said, I, I, I know that I will be attacked. I know that there will be incidents. I uh, don't need to know that. I don't need to be alerted about that. So forget about security intelligence and threat intelligence. I just need to know how somebody breaks in. How is this? How is the attack done? And that's why he needs the honeypots. So he needs to understand where the holds are and what exactly the path of the attacker is. So usually phishing, you start by getting somebody's credentials uh, that get you access to a system. You are able to get to more access there, uh, root access maybe, and then from there on you have the whole machine in your hands and uh, can play God. It's kind of like how, how it works. 
Um, other attacks might not even need credentials. Um, if you uh, if you do something like um, create your own barcodes that uh, um, create lower prices, and you march yourself into a store and put on attach this glue this new barcode to um, a product, you might walk away with cheaper products than the original price. So it needn't be you needn't steal credentials all the time. You needn't start by 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 doing that. So the the how somebody does this, it varies significantly, um, and uh, that's what the customer wants to understand to close, to close the, this gap, to close this hole without really having been attacked. Now, just putting up this decoy system, which, of course, is, is costly. You need to administer it, mm-hmm. but maybe the cloud offers here uh, new, cheaper, cheaper, um, cheaper um, uh, landscapes. Thank you, Gerlinda. Very interesting. I learned a new word. Let's turn to Paul Alvarez. We are legitimately at the time of the show where we need to talk about predictions. Paul, I happen to still be fond of the year 2020. It just sounds so interesting, but it's not that far away. So why don't you look into the EY crystal ball, please, and tell us what do you see that will be different at some point in the future if we met again to talk about this topic, security breach threat analysis and intelligence, voodoo or real? Paul Alvarez, 60 seconds, predictions, go. Yes, um, I do think that um, the pace of attacks will not slow down. Like you said, the the 2020s is not that far out. I do think that we will start to get better at leveraging newer technologies like machine learning and artificial intelligence to help analysts and companies cut through the noise and identify attacks quicker. Uh, Things that slip through traditional signature-based defenses um, will maybe will, um, will not be able to evade things like machine learning and artificial intelligence. So I think I think that's where things are headed. Uh, people are starting to do a much better job of leveraging big data, um, leveraging the information they have at hand to start to get a better sense of what's going on in their networks. Um, so I believe that's that's where we're headed in the next couple of years. Thank you very much, Richard McCam, and you're up next. I can give you exactly 60 seconds for your prediction. What year are you looking at, please? Oh, 2020 is good. I would suggest in the next four years, um, based on the conversations we've had today, I'm going to recycle a little bit to uh, an earlier theme as well, is that I'm predicting that within these next four years, we're going to see more and more state-sponsored attacks. Uh, States may be the the ones that are are formal or even informal. So I think that in that four-year period, we're going to see that not the the next 9-11 or Paris or Brussels, it's going to be an attack on our financial networks and, uh, mm. and maybe even our infrastructure networks in order to, to cause the damage that uh, some of these state-sponsored attacks are going to uh, try to achieve. And so I, I think in the next four years we're going to see more of those, and I, I really think that we need to start putting in better protections against those sorts of attacks because those are, are much broader, they're much bigger, and they can be much more destructive. Thank you very much. That does not bode well, does it, Richard? That's uh, a different kind of a threat, and it'll probably get even more media attention. We won't be crying the way we do for the people attacks, but we certainly will be feeling the pinch in our pocketbooks, corporate and personal. Let's go to Gerlinda Zabolski. Gerlinda, time for your predictions. I give you 60 seconds as well. Yeah, so I totally agree. I think the um, what is the under the buzzword advanced persistent threats? 
yeah, threats by or- big organizations, state-sponsored or- intelligence organizations, but it can also be a global terrorist group that has uh, very big resources in terms of smart people as well as money will build um, attacks and will execute them either on software or on infrastructure. But I also totally think that, especially with the the artificial intelligence and where it's at, that uh, analytics tools, security analytics and intelligence tools will become smarter, especially via machine learning, um, and will will help um, identify those. They'll still lag a little behind, but I'm I'm pretty sure that we'll see both of these um, these trends evolve together. Thank you very much to all three of our esteemed panelists. We've been speaking with Paul Alvarez at EY. Paul, wonderful to have you on board. And a shout-out to Tiffany Stronsky. Thank you for working with us. And Richard McCammon at DeLego. Shout-out to all of your colleagues at DeLego. And Gerlinda Zabolski, always a pleasure. I think I see, I think I can predict, Gerlinda, we're going to have to do number seven. I think I can see. Uh, I think we're going to have to come back and talk more, so I'm going to let you decide what that topic will be, and we'll get it on the books quickly. We'd love to do another, uh, the seventh in this micro-mini-series this summer. So thank you all, everyone. We really appreciate your being here. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Shout-out to Justin and the Business Channel team, and shout-out to Brad Borkin at SAP for your support always. And here's my call to action. What are you waiting for? Fasten your seatbelt. Go out and be a game-changer today. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.